don't buy the idea that, you know, the society the way it is right now, it has to be this way. Welcome to Rewrite the Rules with your host, Alex Starr. So many of us choose our path out of fear disguised as practicality. It's time to live life on your own terms. What do you really want? Hey, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everybody. Welcome to Rewrite the Rules. I am Alex Starr. Thank you so much for tuning in, y'all. Uh, the guy I have on today, <clears throat> he is the most, one of the most, or the most interesting cats I have had on this podcast. Um, and that's saying a lot because I think I've been very grateful to have some fascinating people that have done a lot. But his resume and what I like so much about him is that he is literally showing us a different way that society could function, at least at an individual level, um, which is somewhat of an oxymoron. But he is a glimpse into what other possibilities there are in the very way that our consciousness is focused and the way that we all live our lives. Um, his name is Rob Greenfield, and he has a book out called Dude Making a Difference. Um, but he has a pretty substantial following across the internet, and he has lived in a tiny house for two or three years. Um, he has basically given up money almost entirely. He makes a pretty substantial income off of uh, speaking engagements, and he did a TV show for the Discovery Channel um, about traveling to South America with absolutely no money and no phone and making his way from Brazil to Colombia. Um, he has done all these things. Um, he lives off of $5,000 a year. The rest of the money that he makes, he donates. Uh, he does not have a cell phone. He uses a computer and Wi-Fi, of course. Um, and he lives with his girlfriend kind of traveling around the country doing these amazing things. Road cross country to um, make every community better as he went. Um, so just really an, a, an interesting way to think about what we're all doing and why are we doing it. What an interesting way to see a completely different way. Talk about you know rewriting the rules. Um, he is doing it with almost every aspect of his life living within this society. It is fascinating. I am so happy um, for you guys to hear it. I'm really excited for you guys. Um, and you know, I'm really grateful for him to come on and, and take some time to do this. Uh, his name is Rob Greenfield and you can find him at his website, robgreenfield.org. He's all over, um, Facebook, um, and things like that. So, uh, please enjoy the show. Uh, make sure and leave me a review on iTunes and subscribe would be very, very grateful for that. You know, just help spread the word. That's, um, that's the biggest thing, uh, the biggest favor, and kind of compliment you could give me is uh, just telling your friends and you know maybe subscribing or sharing this um, would mean the world to me. And as always, I love hearing from all of you. I'm always available at my website, alexstar.com. Um, you can send me an email at alex at alexstar.com as well. Um, so thanks so much. Uh, you know, turn off the lights, get a nice setting for this one, um, and uh, enjoy it with Mr. Rob Greenfield. So Rob, thanks for coming on, dude. Really appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. Um, your resume is 
out of control. I thought <laughs> like I've been applying for jobs here in Austin. I got a job. And so I was working on my resume and I was looking at yours online and I was like, damn, this is literally the most interesting guy at every party. Like, <laughs> just, you know what I mean? Cause like, yeah, people travel and like, you know, people get different jobs and move around, but your list is insane. Um, so it's, it's kind of, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, except I'm often not very interesting at parties because usually loud noises make me very quiet and like run away. Oh, really? <laughs> so sometimes I'm actually, I guess, I mean, I know what you're saying, but it just comes to mind that at a party, I might be less interesting. <laughs> well, okay. I can see that. I can see that. But like, so the funny thing is that you started off, like you were... You used to be like you were in college and you were studying biology, right? And you have pictures of you doing beer bongs and stuff like that. Yep. I mean, you were a pretty standard college guy for a while, right? Yeah, I was um, for, you know, up until my early to mid 20s, I was a pretty standard person. Um, you know, my passions were partying, material possessions. Uh, uh, my goal was to be a millionaire by the time I was 30 years old. And like a very large portion of my time was focused on just chasing women and you know all that that was like you know where most of my energy went to those kind of key key basic things and i know that you talk about that you didn't have like an epiphany moment but walk us through like you know kind of like how you talk about it in your ted talk sure. um, which is cool by the way it's uh be the change in the um, be the change in the messed up world right yeah um kind of like how i'm really interested in how you were able to be that guy and slowly let go of that identity? Well, um, basically what happened was I, I've always been a fairly logical and, and rational guy. Uh, and what happened was I started to watch a lot of documentaries and read a lot of books and just started to realize that my life wasn't what I thought it was. Like a lot of the things I was doing were because corporations had spent billions of millions of dollars on advertising and they got me. And I was doing the things because they were, I was a consumer that they had sold on this idea that I needed these products or these things, uh, maybe to be happy, maybe, maybe to be liked, uh, or maybe just to even exist. So that was part of it. Um, so basically the other thing is that I realized that almost all of my actions were also monetized. The food I was eating, the, you know, the car, the car I was driving just to get around rent, uh, you know, water, um, electricity, uh, waste, like everything that I did was also monetized. And then lastly, I realized also that almost everything that I was doing was causing destruction to the world, to other species, to humanity as a whole. And so once I realized that my life was kind of destruct, ultimately destructive and not what I thought I was living, that's when I realized, okay, I have to start changing my life to to live in alignment with my beliefs and to not be a hypocrite so that my actions and my words actually line up. That is well so I I think that the interesting part is that most people know that, right? Like we all know that we're messing up the planet, we all know that what we're doing is not sustainable, but eh, you know, I like cheeseburgers. You know what I mean? Like but you actually yeah. followed through with it is the interesting part. And I think you mentioned how it's like, it wasn't, you just woke up one morning 
and threw everything out and that was it but it was a process it was like a very small step-by-step thing i think you did like a hundred things in a year something like that and kind of built off of that yeah so you know at that point the thing is okay you're right millions of people our age are waking up to you know uh the our existence and consciousness like Mm. people are generally becoming fairly conscious to the problems out there and i do think the area where we're lacking is action we have more consciousness, but not as much action. And that was the big thing is that I decided to take action. And I guess for me, I felt like I didn't have a choice because I was only 25-ish years old. And I just wasn't going to live another, you know, maybe five, six decades as a hypocrite, as a person who didn't feel comfortable with my own actions. Like I wasn't going to wake up in the morning and be like, you know, be like, uh, you know, feeling this sort of doom and gloom feeling of all the things that are wrong and knowing that I'm part of it or or go to bed feeling that way. I wanted to kind of give myself a fresh blank slate mm-hmm. now that I knew because at the, that's, the, that's the thing. Maybe a lot of people know now, but five years ago, I didn't know, like I woke up to those things. And so I could have felt, you know, like it was an insurmountable feat, but instead I basically made for one, I made adventures out of it. I made it fun to make changes in my life. And then also I took it a little by a little at a time. I made goals. Like if you were planning on starting a million dollar business, you got to start somewhere, build the foundation. Well, I was trying to make a new life and I knew that I had to start somewhere, make positive changes, build a foundation and just kind of keep working. Yeah, man, it's insane. And it's very cool part you just said about the consciousness uh shifting what what are your what are your thoughts about like what are your opinion on why everyone seems to be waking up because i agree with you now i think i think it's the internet i think the internet has a lot to do with it and i think that we're seeing a lot of other cultures and experiences that were once hidden from us like even just saying taking something as like ayahuasca for example which i did like I yeah. only knew about that because of the internet, right? And so you just you're everyone is being open to all these new ideas all the time and documentaries and stuff that everyone kind of is able to look around and be like, this is all kind of BS, you know, for a little bit. I mean, what do you think? Kind of what is what what is instilling it now? Why is it changing? Well, I do think that the ease of access to information is a big part of it. I mean, for eight dollars a month, you can have a Netflix account and have like, you know hundreds and thousands of educational documentaries to be able to watch more than you could possibly probably watch in a month each month and so ease of access is a big part of it um and then you know i think that plays a huge role the internet you know plays Mm -hmm. a huge role i guess also because now the problems are so visible that they're hard not to see is another reason like in okay. the past when there weren't 7 billion people uh the problems were easier to not see because they weren't as in our face because they weren't as big yet because you didn't have the proximity to them but now i think so many of the great problems are really catching up and getting to a point where they are at the forefront and where we do see them. And then again, back to information, you know, you have with Facebook and with the new form of media where in the past journalists might spend weeks or months on a story. Now they have to pump out a story every day. You just have this incredible amount of information coming out every single day. 
So, you know, I guess the answer is I don't know, but that those are the reasons that like come to mind as what I would think. Where do you see since we're on this train, I want to hear more. I really want to get about like your lifestyle stuff too, but but where do you see this going? And what I mean by that is like I think a lot of people look at society and say there's so many things we could change. Is it farther towards socialism? Is it more free markets? Is it farther towards capitalism? Is it a mixture in the middle? Is it making like community-based uh, cities? Is it less cars? There's so many different options, but I think everyone goes, is this the only choice we have? Is this the only setup that, that we can do? Is this the best that humans can think of as a society to create the way that we all function, right? Um, where do you see like what you do being a part of that in the future? Do you see it being possible for people to downgrade the way that you've downgraded your life. Not downgrade is a bad word for it, yeah. but re- I know what you mean. Yeah. Do you see that kind of taking place or like, do you see that kind of spreading into mainstream? Yeah. I, and it's funny because as first, when you said downgrade, I totally, you know, understood. Yeah, of course. But then I thought about, but after you caught yourself, I was like, well, wait a sec. I upgraded. Yeah. 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 Life. No. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. By, by simplifying and downsizing, downsizing and everything, but I, I have yeah. definitely, yeah, I have definitely upgraded my life. I'm happier, healthier, more purposeful. But see, here's the funny part, passionate. man. Here's the funny part, Rob, is that I said that because you can call it brainwashing, you can call it what you can call it marketing, you know, whatever you want to call it. It is hard for me, and I'm sure 99% of the people listening to this and the people that you talk to on a daily basis, I'm sure you deal with this all the time. It's just hard for me to put myself in your shoes and it's hard for me to be like this guy is making five thousand dollars a year (laughs) you know what i mean and he's given the rest of it away and he doesn't have a car and it's it's hard to imagine it's hard to think that it's not a worse life when i i also know that i'm sure that it's a beautiful life but it's just yeah it's just hard to put myself in your shoes well here's one thing um and i totally understand you because that's exactly how i felt in the past but Here's one thing that even I would have understood, I think, in the past, because I always looked into like Buddhism philosophy and things like that. But would you say that people who are very giving and live in the service of others are usually pretty happy? Like, Mm -hmm. do you see like do you see a correlation with that? For sure. Of course. Yeah. And I feel like that's a correlation with most people. Like most people know that you know, they have those people in mind in their community that are very giving and and are often super happy. And so what I've personally found is that the more that I give, the more that I receive. So how it works is, you know, often I'll give something up, but I find that by giving more to humanity and giving more to the earth that I receive so much more back. And I don't mean directly. It might be because I feel a sense of purpose or a sense of belonging. Mm. Um, it might be that, you know, I made someone smile or I made someone's life better. And ultimately what I've found is that basically one of the most rewarding things, and this is something that I see pretty much in every culture and everybody I I meet tends to agree that one of the most rewarding things in life is making someone else's life better. And so the thing is by, for me, that's what I focus my life on is making the earth better, making other people's lives better. And the thing is, like, 
I just gained that back tenfold always. And, uh, and so it just makes it really easy to do what I do because it's rewarding at the same time. Like it's selfless, you would think, but it's not selfless because it, I, I get so much back. Right. Right. There is no true altruism, right? That's a, that's a, that's a conversation for a whole other podcast. <laughs> yeah. But well, that's the, but that is, that is the truth. Yeah. I mean, I don't think, I don't really know any human beings who, where, where it is truly altruistic. You're right about that. And I think that's built in on purpose, but I, you hit it on the head right there, the nail on the head when you said that it gives you a sense of purpose because that everyone else, like, we we're all chasing it, right? Like we're all chasing a sense of purpose and we, we've all got misconstrued and misled to believe that it's through our jobs and it's through our money and it's, it's through these different ways. You know, it's like I, you try and accrue money because you think that through money you can get your freedom or that you can, you can do these things that are going to give you those sense of purpose. Right. Yeah. Cause in the end, that's really what people are chasing. Um, yeah. Cause and it, but then you, you you're just kind of starting at the, at the, at the, you know, at the end of the fourth lap and working your way back. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I, I completely, I mean, when, if you ask anybody who really feels purposeful or a sense of purpose, they're going to also feel complete. And when you feel complete, then it doesn't matter how much money you have or how big your house is or how nice your car is or any of these things, because you already have a sense of completeness because you're so full of purpose. And so if we can work as individuals on feeling purposeful and useful, then a lot of those other things, the material needs and the material wants, they fall away mm-hmm. without you even realizing it. Like I didn't know those things were going to fall away, but they just have. I've just lost desire for them because there's other things that my life is filled with where they're not needed anymore. That's an excellent point, man. You don't, you don't, you don't have as much of a void to fill up. Yeah, very little void. And and truth is the big thing. Like now, you know, like a lot of times people feel a gap, like a hole in their lives. I know that's something very much in our generation. But um, the other thing is because one of the things I just want is truth. I can fill myself with truth. That's another thing that's free and that I can get from just information seeking. And so I can also fill myself in that way. And I think often that void is that confusion about your actions and and what they are and the destruction they cause or 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 that and so by f- spending so much of my time on just understanding my actions that's another element of like how i feel complete yeah well, tell me do you have you know your you have tell tell us a little bit about like your lifestyle you know um what you're doing right now you know, kind of like how much money you're making, where are you living, how do you get around? Like, I kind of sure. fill us in a little bit on like right now, what's your what's your living situation? So it varies from time to time. Um, I was living in a tiny house off the grid, a little 50 square foot tiny house off the grid in San Diego from 2015 to early 2016. And there I was living without a single bill or debt. I did a work exchange for someone's unused backyard. That's where I set up my tiny home. And I just did some basic work around the place in order to have the place where I could live off the grid and have my basic needs met. So that's what I did. So that was about three years ago that I moved in there. And that's when I got rid of my last bill and my last debt so that I was really able to live simply. 
Um, a year and a half ago, I got rid of the tiny house, and now my girlfriend and I have been traveling since then. And um, so basically what I do uh, is I do a lot of projects. And so usually wherever I'm doing a project, that's where I'm hosted. So either I'm camping, if I'm like, for example, this summer, Cheryl and I and a group of about 30 people biked across the country, across right. the United States. The Green Riders, correct? Yep. And then, um, but like right now, for example, I'm basically volunteering, you know, I've just spent the last two days in the garden at this really awesome little permaculture farm. And so they've been feeding me the last two days and I've been working in the garden for like six or eight hours. So that's a little bit of an idea. And then for money, I do public speaking. Um, as you said, most of the money that I earn is donated to nonprofits. This year, my salary, my personal income cap that I set for myself was $5,000 to basically force myself to live simply and be resourceful. And um, so that came from public speaking. And I don't know, that's, a, I guess, kind of answers your question. It's kind of complex because it's life. It's your whole life, you know? Well, that's, that's the crazy part about it, man, is because you're living not only a nomadic lifestyle, you know, but a lot of people, when they get into a job, even if, you know, it's like you do a job for six months or you do a job for a year, you know, and then maybe you move to another job and, but you're kind of still in the same career, or the same career path or the same industry. Or, and so to kind of just flip everything on its head and to be like, oh, I'm just working at these farms and like, but you have so many projects on the side too. You're like, you're riding across country, making every community better as you go. Um, didn't you, um, you, you had a TV show on the discovery channel right yeah that, that aired, yep, that, that that's was, insane that's you flew down to brazil without any money and then that tried and then got to panama yeah yeah well i didn't make it to panama actually oh, okay um, i need to I watch him i made it to Colombia, which uh so i made it like almost the whole way i just had the darien gap to cover but yeah that was um you know traveling through south america uh landed in rio de janeiro brazil with no money with just my the clothes in my back and uh, my uh, small backpack with some basic gear. And the idea was to put myself out there and be dependent upon the kindness of others to ultimately show people, to create an example of how people are actually really good. The mainstream media portrays the world as a dangerous, violent place. Um, but I just don't believe that, that that's the majority of people. I think the majority of people are good. Mm. And that's what my travels with no money really, really demonstrate. Yeah. And it's just incredible. Like I just, yeah, the different projects you have are, uh, it's just really cool. So how much money do you make a year? Would you say? Um, well, personally, my income cap was 5,000. And so how it works is I don't accept any money above that. What I do instead is for example, when I did the discovery channel TV show, they would have paid me $30,000. But I wrote right into the contract, you will donate the money directly to these nonprofits. So oh, I don't okay. ever touch the money or see the money. And instead, like same with my book, uh, which is Dude Making a Difference. The, I've never st seen any money from the book. It just, they just send a check directly to different nonprofits. Yeah. That's, and that's, it's funny because that's a very, it's a, it's a rude question you're not supposed to ask, but. To you, it's, and also just like yeah. I always ask people that anyway, and some people get offended at me, and I'm like, I don't, I don't, I don't really care. Like, I tell you how much I make. Be. I don't fuck. I don't it, really. 
Yeah. People are living their lives based around money. You should be able to talk about it. Yeah, that's what I think too. But I mean, I get how some people it's just kind of like awkward or something. But, um, yeah. but yeah, I agree. It's uh, it's kind of a weird thing. But yeah, man, I, I the traveling thing really hit home with me because I've always thought that too. And I did a couple of um, I did like a six month solo backpacking trip in South America, and then I did a, a three month one. Um, and I always I've always have thought when I look around. You know, if humans are inherently bad, you, every person listening to this or you, me, how many thousands of interactions do you, do you personally even go through a day or do you, do you see, Mm -hmm. right? Or how many interactions worldwide? We have what, 7 billion people. So that means that there's probably, let's say 10 trillion interactions a day going on. And then we see like the 10 on news that are really bad. Yeah. You know, and it's like, there's. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. It's this. Yeah, I, I like that. I've never actually thought of it quite that way. It's the bad things that stick out. Like, for example, shark attacks. Only 10 shark attack. What is it? A 10 or 100 shark attacks happen in the entire world per year. And in the United States, it's less than 10. And only one person in the United States typically dies by a shark per year. Yet people have this crazy fear of it. You know, it's absolutely, it's totally, absolutely absurd to have any fear of sharks. Hey, no, and, it is not, dude. You suit yourself, man. They're fucking terrifying. What are you talking about? <laughs> they are, but statistically speaking, right. you're, you know, there's so many things that are more like a coconut, a coconut falling on your head while you're on vacation is like 30 times more likely to kill you than a shark. But you put that so well, and that's that in your lifetime, maybe a few bad things happen to you, but you lived for 70 or 80 years, and you had probably millions of good interactions and a couple bad ones. So I do think people are generally good. Now, I do want to state one thing or you know, mention one thing, and that is that you know, over the last years, I've definitely come to realize that I have life easier as a white male from a Western country that just makes life a lot easier in in many ways like traveling with no money across south america is a whole different story from someone from south central america trying to leave central america mm-hmm. to get to the united states because they want to get freedom from their country they're going to have a whole different level of challenges and and a whole different story so just want to acknowledge that that i'm not mm-hmm. delusional and i realize those things mm-hmm, for sure like i mean look if you're born in syria right now uh your perception of humanity is going to be much different than a lot of other people on the planet you know or the neighborhood you grew up in but yeah overall it's um it it, it inherently yeah i think it, people statistically and disproportionately it's like it's just impossible to make an argument that we're not good or else this wouldn't work you couldn't have seven billion yeah. people and more or less have a functioning world. Like, you know, this is the safest it's been in, you know, this is, I think the least amount of violence in the history of the, uh, of history that we have like a documented history and it just wouldn't work unless people were inherently good. I think. Yeah. It's uh, it is crazy that we live in what is supposedly the most peaceful time. Well, see now here's a bit, now here's a big caveat to that, man. If you get into like pre-agricultural revolution, where you know we don't have any documented history of that we're just somewhat yeah. speculating that's where they think that it there could have been less violence then it seems to be like at the turning point where it was civilization and we started to really just um condense into these like really you know concentrated areas 
that's when violence spiked because it was like we started parceling out pieces of land and um, we started getting very territorial. And that's when the violence skyrocketed for the past, you know, 10,000 years mm. in the Dark Ages and everything. So Very interesting. Yeah, yeah, interesting, yeah, like side story. Um, but yeah, you're, all the different things you do um, are just unbelievably fascinating, man. Um, but tell me about like, your like, do you have a cell phone, for instance? Like, whose computer are you on right now? Like, how do you how do you do all that stuff? Yeah, I got rid of uh, my cell phone in end of 2014, so I've been cell phone free for I guess close to three years now. That was the last bill that I had, um, so I don't have any any monthly bills at all in my name to my name. That, oh my god, um, that's insanity. And yeah, so I I just have a a computer. You know, like I just have a MacBook Air that I bought on Craigslist for $400 used. And uh, and then I also have an iPod Touch. I got that so I could do Facebook Live and things like that. So and then I just use Wi-Fi everywhere that I, I, you know, and the nice thing about that is that it forces me to disconnect because even myself, I have uh, an imbalance with being on the online far too often. And so at least by not having a cell phone. It forces me that at least when I'm out, uh, I can take some time off and be fully present. And I think that's one of the keys to health and happiness is to to be able to be present in where you are. And I find that to be so much easier when I don't have the ability for anyone to bombard my head at any moment. It is, it is a fact, man. And this is, you know, it, it's very cliche to, you know, like, oh, the cell phones are stealing like all those young kids just on their phones all the time but i would say it's almost physiologically impossible for any human to not become addicted to it it is very hard i'm i've been very very addicted to my gadgets at times it's hard and the internet like you're talking about just being online it's just the constant constant distractions constant entertainment yeah um yeah. yeah, it's definitely my, I mean, it's such a tricky thing because it's such a useful tool for expanding your consciousness, but it also can be one of the things that can shrivel you up and like make you a slave. For sure. The problem is, is that no one knows how to deal with it because it's been around for 10 years. You yeah, know? I. it's crazy how little it's been around, man. That's so crazy. Yeah. I mean, for how short of a time, it seems like there's been no other way of life on earth, but of course this is just the tiniest little slice of existence. I know. And all of a sudden, I mean, look at this. We're literally talking to each other. I can, I'm watching you on this millimeter screen. Like I don't even, you know, I always think about like if aliens were to come down, they would think that screens were our food source because they see people (laughs) like going to work, like it work in quotation marks, like working and like staring at these screens and then in our off time, we come home and like kick back on the couch and stare at screens. Oh my and then you're like pulling the screen out of your pocket. And like they would be like, oh, the, the screen, it must be like their source of energy. Like, Well, and there's been plenty of times where I've prioritized the screen over food. I can't tell you the number of times <laughs> that it's come first. Or like, or ice cream with the screen. That's what I do. I just do the whole like. You know, watch a TV show or something with some ice cream. That's really good, too. That does sound nice. Um, so, like, how do you 
how do you think i know so you got a vasectomy right mm-hmm. i'm curious about, about this. five yeah five years ago yeah and that's and that's um oh oof, that's crazy um <laughs> and is that because you don't want to add more population or it's because you just hate whiny babies <laughs> i mean because i actually well, saw that and i was like that's hey, not a bad idea <laughs> <laughs> Well, it wasn't because of the population thing, actually. Um, that was five years ago. It was actually when I was just beginning to really dive into environmental type stuff. And I guess I hadn't really looked into overpopulation very much at that point. I wasn't even very knowledgeable on it. So that wasn't really even close to the main factor. For me, it comes, I mean, there's, there's many things, but one of them comes down to time on earth, the time that I have, how can I most effectively use my time? So at that time, I had already decided that I was really dedicating my life to having as good of a, you know, as great of a positive impact as I could on earth. And I just knew, I know how time consuming raising children are. And I'm not saying it can't be ridiculously rewarding or like your biggest purpose in life. But for me, I knew that raising a kid of my own was not the way that I would be able to be the most impactful. It was by having a life of freedom where I'd be able to do these sorts of activism campaigns and adventures and be able to reach, you know, more youth, be able to spend more time at school speaking to kids and things like that. So that was a big part of it. Um, And the other big part of it is that, you know, people have this concept that people who don't want kids are selfish uh, that's kind of like one of the biggest things that like when I, you know, I wrote that blog why I got a vasectomy at age 25 and people are like, oh, this guy's just being selfish. And ultimately, I think one of the most selfish things you can do is have kids for the wrong reason um, to accidentally have a kid that you don't want is, I think, one of the most selfish things that you can do uh, to not raise a, a kid well and give it your full like give it so much for 18 years what you committed to. You know, that's what I feel is is so selfish. And so um, I just didn't want to possibly ever be in that scenario and be that. So that was, you know, another part of it. Um, you think so those change? are a couple of reasons. You think you'll change your mind? No, I definitely don't. Um, it's I guess been it's really five years. It's a weird question because you wouldn't be able to know that you're going to change your mind because. Yeah, but I think, yeah, no, you're totally right. I mean, it's been, I'm 31 now. I did it when I was 25. And uh, there's just never been any moment, like I never look at a kid and I'm like, man, one day, I wish one day I could have a, a little kid that looks like me and acts like me. Like I have no desire for that. Um, and uh, I just don't, I, I would be, I would, I would have to have really screwed up my thinking for that to be the case. I, I really don't think I'll ever want one. Here's the thing, though. You have a girlfriend. There's so many. <laughs> I do have. I do have a girlfriend. She might want together. one. <laughs> she she doesn't. She's oh, okay. very confident. And if she does, then she can. Then you know we've talked about it. And if she decides her purpose in life is to have kids, then maybe we just wouldn't be together anymore. Or here's the thing. Here's another big part of it. If I ever want kids, I can adopt. You know, there's that's one of the big things. There's so many neglected humans on earth right now why do i need to bring another human on earth when i can give my time to people that are neglected and need love and need energy i'd rather put my energy there do you ever need 
you know, when you decided to make this commitment to just, I mean, completely change, you're almost like a different species. (laughs) (laughs) And I mean that as a compliment, like you are living such an alternative lifestyle. And you know, this podcast is called rewrite the rules and you're like the epitome of someone rewriting the rules of every aspect of their life. Most of the time I have people on that have like, you know, rewrote the rules of, you know, some type of thinking or, you know, their job, you know, like what they do for money. And it's like, you have rewritten the rules to literally every aspect of living within the society, you know, um, when you decided to make that commitment, I mean, was there fear in there? Like what, what did your friends say? Like, what are they, you know, cause it's, you're just living on like these, this like complete fringes of society. Mm. In many ways I am. And there's very little fear. Um, you know, one of the things is as a minimalist and you know, that's a, you know, popular term out there, the idea of owning very few possessions. But, you know, for me, like the more that I've simplified my life, the less stuff that I have. But also I practice the idea of minimalism with just everything. Like it's a philosophy. It's a way of thinking about existence. And so one of the things is the more the less stuff that I have, the more that I really am able to embrace my impermanence and how temporary my life is, because Here's the thing, and this is not something I ever realized would happen, but my life is in a way now that every possession that I own fits on my bicycle or before it fit on my backpack. So everything I own is here. I have no bills and I have no debt. So there's no accounts that are like, you know, would be in limbo. So the idea is that if I died, there'd be very little to do. Like there'd be very little to deal with uh, on my behalf. And so it's this like interesting feeling of now that my life has been simplified so much, I'm much more, uh, just, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Comfortable with the idea of just not existing anymore. The idea of just dying, the idea of tomorrow, just no longer existing. And so like now that I've gotten to that point, what's to fear? Because, I don't even mind if I don't exist. That's some heavy shit, man. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's about, that's about as deep as it can get right there, honestly, because you just hit on so many things about, you know, Western civilization and our fear of death and like trying to accrue all of these, um, um, you know, like these, you know, statues and auditoriums named after us and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, you know, to like, uh, everyone's about legacy, leaving something after you die, you mm. know? Um, and I know, yeah, you're, you've kind of read up on Buddhist stuff, but that's where a lot of think uh, the society is kind of backwards is that we're so scared of death and that we kind of like sh- throw it in this corner, you know, yeah. like when people get old, throw them in the old people home. When they die, you kind of just, you know, make their body look all nice and go look at it for a second and say some nice things and throw them in the dirt. You know <laughs> well, what I mean? Well, they never see the dirt, actually. They're in a coffin. Right, 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 right. Act- yeah. Right, yeah. So the, you, you see them, like, all, like, and, you know, they get dressed up in a suit, and then you put clothes with the lid, and, all right, shove them over there, and he was great. All right, everyone, let's go get yeah. lunch. Um, yeah, it's so- a very interesting thing. I mean, I was in Port Townsend, Washington a couple of weeks ago, and I spent time with um, a lot of pe- elder, pe- elderly people, like this one woman, uh, Judy, was, I don't know, in her late 60s or something like that, maybe 70. And we were talking about this, 
And uh, she said, you know, you're young and, uh, you know, let's see how you feel if you were to get cancer when you were uh, like, you know, let's say how you would feel then. And and I totally understand the perspective. Like I am young and, and at this point, it's unlikely that I would die of many of the things that cause death to people. Um, but I just truly, I truly believe what I, what I'm saying about impermanence. And, um, and I just, uh, it, it's, I, it really is something that I never would have thought that I could feel. And it's only come from totally rethinking life. It's not, you've taken like the weight off of your life. Yeah. That's a big thing. Like people have so much weight on them. And so when you realize your lack of importance, it takes the weight off. Now, the other thing is to realize your importance because it's a kind of an interesting thing here. I believe that we're really in unimportant, but also really important at the same time. And here's why, because, okay, whatever, we don't know, we don't know why we're on earth or the purpose of life or any of that stuff. But I do believe that life is precious and I do believe that most people care about their lives. And so the way I look at it is, okay, even if it's all meaningless in the grand scheme of things, if I can, you know, create a place, it doesn't have to be a place, but it could be a feeling. If I can create and help someone to be happier and healthier and make their life better, or if I can make the life of an animal better by, say, cleaning up a pond that's full of trash, so there's actually a, a clean pond for the ducks and the fish or uh you know or maybe i can just grow a big vegetable patch and maybe there's some elders and we have dinner together and they have fresh vegetables for the first time that year and you know their their day is really brightened like to me all that matters because life is precious and so if i can brighten people's day and make the world a little bit better of a place that day then that's worth living for and it matters and it's important um, and that's how I feel, but then also remembering the bigger picture of life that also we're not important and just kind of balancing those two things. Um, yeah, I mean, th those are the balance between pretty much everything is, is the way, you know what I mean? You have to find a balance with, with everything. Um, you know, I've always thought of the part that, you know, when you hear people go, you know, everybody is, you know, unique and everyone's entitled, you know, that everyone is great. And you're all, you know, you're like, you know, you're all special snowflakes. And it's like, yes, that's true. Um, and then the opposite is you are all insignificant pieces of dust and you're all the same, you know, we're all the same humans that have the same feelings and the same ways that we reconcile and the way that we think about the future and the past and how we move in our physical bodies and those two are quite literally, it's a paradox, right? Because yeah. we're all living and dying at the exact same time. We're all special and unique and we're all completely insignificant at the exact yeah. same time. And, and this is what you said too. And we're all delusional. That's one of the most important things what for do you me mean? is that, well, we're all delusional about our existence. Mm. Like, you know, most of us don't really understand our existence and we believe in all these things that just aren't true. Uh, we have all these preconceived notions. Like most of us are living fairly delusional lives. I'm still delusional about many things. I'm delusional about less. Like five years ago, I was living very delusionally. Now it's much less so. But uh, the reason I bring this up is because, have you seen the movie The Big Short? 
Uh, yes, with Steve Carell, that one. Yeah, the financial yep. collapse. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so like that's a perfect example. Like the financial collapse. You know, a million people in the United States lost their house. Uh, I don't know if it was overnight or within a year or something like that. Most of these people thought they would have that house forever or as long as they wanted it. And, you know, so many people are living in this way where two weeks from now, everything they think they have could no longer be theirs. That's mm -hmm. a state of delusion. Like they don't realize that, oh, you know, for example, if the food stopped coming to their city, what would happen to their life? Mm -hmm. All these things that are that our societies are propped up on that people just don't see, don't think about, don't understand. Like that's all delusional to me. So um, I was doing that project called Trash Me where I wore all my trash for, I wore, I lived like the average American and wore all the trash I created for a month and looked like, I guess you could say a total fool walking around New York City covered in trash. And at first I was worried what people would think. Like about two or three days in, I, the rule was I had to wear it everywhere I went. And so I didn't really want to go outside. I was like, man, you know, what are people going to think? But then I watched the big short and I was reminded, well, wait a sec, we're all delusional. And then once I remembered that, it was like, who cares? I can go out in New York City covered in trash because every person I walk by is delusional anyway. So why should I really care what they think? And once you <laughs> stop caring what people think, your whole life just frees up to be able to do what you want and really like pursue the life you want. So the secret is to just picture everyone else being delusional. <laughs> yeah, that helped me. That's helped me for sure. What do you, so you were like picturing them that they're just lost in, cause that sounds kind of like your ego talking a little bit. Well, we're all delusional. Like I've just realized that we are all delusional. Okay. I mean, including myself, like every single person in the United States is on, has their own delusions. And so it, and so because of that, it just doesn't matter what people think. Like I think the wrong thing about people all the time. I pass judgments that I, sure. that turn out like, Oh wow, I was totally incorrect about that. And yeah. so just the amount of that has made it, uh, so much easier to not worry what people think. Yeah. And you probably, I mean, through the past, this whole experience that you've done has, I would say almost like you are probably at like 10% of what the normal person thinks, uh, you know, spends their time thinking about what other people think. Mm, yeah, I still do. Yep. You've got that right. I still do, but it's much less like when I was in high school, I could spend an hour in front of the mirror before school gelling my hair and, you know, worrying just about the aesthetics of my face and my hair, what people mm. thought like, so I've I've gotten way past that. I still I still think and worry some about what people think, but it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't like consume me and it doesn't uh consume so much of my time because for so many people they spend hours and hours that that are basically wasted that if they didn't care what people thought so much they they could do spend those hours doing something way better. Mm, yeah, and it leads um becomes a it's a habit i think and it's a habit that you can you can break mm. you know mm -hmm. that you, you spend time doing it and you kind of just like oh this is the way i think i think about what other people think and then you can you can slowly yeah break free of that through a lot of different ways but obviously kind of the things that you've done well yeah speaking of breaking free like for example one of the, that's what i did i practiced breaking free it's not like it happened overnight i wanted to break free of that so i 
had little drills, like little sort of games that would help me break free. Like, for example, one week, I made a rule for one week that I couldn't eat with any utensils. I could only eat with my hands wherever I was, whether I was at home or at a party or at a restaurant. And so, you know, for that week, like I had to do something that really put myself out of my comfort zone that a lot of people would be like, why is that guy eating with his hands and think it's weird. But by doing that sort of weird thing, and of course, under the knowledge that, of course, billions of people only eat with their hands. So it's not actually weird. It's actually a normal thing in many cultures. But by doing that in the United States, where the culture isn't to do that, it put me outside of my comfort zone. And it helped me to, because for that week, I had to get over worrying what people thought about me because I had made this rule for myself. And doing things like that are what helped me to get to where I am today. I love that, man. Do you have any other examples? Well, one thing is, um, another thing that doesn't fit exactly, but as part of it is leaving the house with no money, no credit card, no way to access money. And maybe it's just the first time you do it that you leave your house at to go to work or school at say 7am and then you come home at what, whatever, 9pm and that whole day, no money, no credit cards. And that forces you to think about everything in a different way. How are you going to find food? Maybe uh, you have to eat food from the garbage that day. You have to go dumpster diving or maybe you have to go to a restaurant where someone left their left leftovers on their plate that was going to get thrown away and then eat that. So which leads me into the other one is dumpster diving. That was a big one for me because it's a big hit to the ego to collect food from the dumpster, even though it's perfectly good food. And that's a whole nother talk. That was one that and then even publicly talking about it, that was another exercise. Maybe you don't even have to tell anyone, but you could just go to a dumpster and pick up an apple and then just throw it in the woods. That could be an exercise. What other things, um, like, yeah, the dumpster diving thing would be extremely, <laughs> that'd be a tough one. <laughs> what other, like, minor things for people listening that, you know, maybe don't want to start by jumping in the dumpster or like doing that. Like the minor things of like, I love the one where like eating with your hands for the week. What other kind of minor things did you do or would you suggest to kind of just instill and get people out of their comfort zone in, in minor ways throughout their daily lives? So another big one for me was just leaving my cell phone at home for a day. So it that's was, a, yeah, that's thanks, a really good one. yeah, it was Thanksgiving of 2012, I think. And I had had a cell phone since I was 16. And at that point, I was probably 25. So basically, for the last about 10 years, I hadn't really, really gone out without my cell phone, except for like, I would shut it off when I was camping, but never like within the city, like where I lived. And so to me, it was like this kind of monumental thing, like, I'm going to not bring my cell phone with me today. And I went over to my friend's house and had the whole day. And I was like, nobody can contact me except the people that I'm sitting at dinner with. And it was monumental for me. And so that's a big one. Just just shut your cell phone off, put it in a drawer, leave your house, and then be out for the whole day and come back. That that's one. That's a really good one, man. Um I don't I haven't done that in a while, but I'll leave it in the car even just going to the grocery store and things like that. Like yeah. even smaller than the whole day. And that helps a lot too. And yeah, you you catch yourself like sitting there in line, you know waiting to check out and 
pull out, you know, pull out the phone and start looking at it. And you're like, God, what am I doing? And so when you don't have it, you know, even just for simple things like that, you kind of start, Oh, that's right. There's, there's a world out here. And then you know what happens, man? My ego will play tricks on me. My mind will play tricks on me. And this is literally what happened, Rob. If I don't have my phone and I'm looking around and I see everyone else on their phone, I'm like, God, these people don't know what they're missing out on. There's a whole big world out here, guys. But then, of course, if I have my phone with me, I pull it out, and I'm like, "Oh, I have important things to do." So I'm, you know, I'm not like these other people. <laughs> like, and that's one of the biggest things: convenience. Anytime something is convenient, you're more likely to do it. So, for example, if your cell phone was covered in honey, you'd be much less likely to grab it because you'd be like, "Well, I don't want to get covered in honey right now." But when it's not, you're just going to grab it. If your cell phone is on top of a 20-foot ladder, you're probably less likely to go up there and check it, to check Facebook for one second when you don't need to check it anyway. You're probably still going to climb the ladder quite a bit, but not as much. Mm -hmm. And so what I always do is find exercises and basically like burdening myself for things that I'm trying to, you know, get past, things that... I'm kind of addicted to or something like that. I make it harder to be able to do it. So um, like this, you know, one of the things that a new thing that I'm doing is uh, with my computer, there's an app that's called Freedom that you can download. It works for your computer and your cell phone. You can set a schedule so that it automatically shuts off your internet at a certain time and then turns it back on. So for me, like I have it automatically shut off at 8 p.m. and it doesn't turn on until 8 a.m. So that gives me 12 hours of not being on now, really? which is huge. It's called freedom, like F-R-E-E-D-O-M, spelled just like the normal way. Yeah, just normal. There's like a picture of a butterfly on a green background. I think it's a butterfly. Um, no way. Man, yeah, it's that's... like a butterfly. Okay, yeah, that is huge because it's, I mean, like we talked about earlier, it's almost impossible to like to force yourself not i mean it's addictive it's so addictive yep and that forces it and once it's on you can't turn it off so it's locked well you can actually choose you can have an a setting where you are able to turn it off but i am i i would turn it on so i had to do the the forced one where once it's on i can't turn it off yeah and i think it's a good idea too to like all these things that we have now are so easy. Everything is just, everything's just so easy to get these rewards, right? And these very, mm-hmm. very, we got porn and we got ice cream everywhere. And I mean, really, man, you know, and you got, you got the dopamine coming at you from Instagram and Snapchat and shit all day. Um, and you don't have to do anything to work for it. Yep. That's You're, the thing. And I've felt it so many times. It's just the notifications, just that instant gratification. Mm. And that's what it's a lot of it is about is I think a lot of it is feeling a purpose, feeling gratification. Um, So that's one thing. Another thing is shutting off the notifications on your phone so that like on all the apps, I don't have notifications on any of the apps on my iPod. So that way um, you don't have that constant bombardment. Um, Another thing is. You know, I think there's something really to be said for conscious consumption of information. So the the Facebook news feeds the opposite. You don't choose what you're going to consume. You're just scrolling and then whatever's there, you end up reading or watching. Whereas the opposite would be saying, what do I want to learn about today? What do I want to know? And then going and 
finding a video on that or an article on that or reading a book. Um, and actually, that's such a better way of using our time wisely and educating ourselves. And so what I did is I got rid of my Facebook news feed so that, again, I'm doing all these things because I don't have the self-control and I have to force myself. Yeah, so and I, nobody does. <laughs> not, I don't really know really hardly anyone with a smartphone who has good self-control. E- even old people that like just got it six months ago, like my mom and my even like my grandpa, they're probably the biggest, they're even more into it than I am. I mean, <laughs> it's just once you get a human brain on that kind of yeah instant gratification that's right there, everyone is susceptible, everybody. Absolutely. And so I guess one of the things like you mentioned earlier, addiction. And so I've found that it turns out that it's not, for me at least, an addiction. What it is, it's an extreme behavioral thing. So because if it's like if you're addicted to drugs and you don't have that drugs, you have withdrawal and you have, you know, physical things going on. Um, And there's other aspects. But for me, if I like put the freedom app on say for two days and I know that I can't possibly get on the internet and I put the computer out of sight and out of mind, I can have a wonderful two days and I don't have negativity. Instead, it's just positivity, which tells me that probably it's not an addiction. It's just an extreme behavioral programming. Mm. Interesting. I never thought about it like that before. Just, just a very, very ingrained habit basically that everybody Mm. Has become accustomed to. Yeah, if the phone's in the pocket, you're just so habitual to oh pull it out and and then flick through there and burn those couple of minutes while you're waiting. So Mm -hmm. that's for me. It it doesn't actually turn out that it's an addiction. It's just habitual. And once you remove the ability to have that habit, then life floods back in in other ways. And then and then the thing is, it's easier because you're like, oh yeah, this is great. I like doing this. I like doing this. I feel good. You know, so yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's that's a really good point. What are your um, what does your family and what do your friends say about your you know completely alternative lifestyle? Um, I don't get as far as family and friends, it's pretty much all positive. Uh, you know, my family definitely likes what I do. Uh, my, I, I have one very very lucky thing, and that's that I have a very supportive family. We all support each other. Unless one of us is doing something really messed up, we're all pretty much going to leave each other alone and just do as long as like we know that the other person is doing what it make what's making them happy. Mm-hmm. Like we never really mess with each other and tell people tell them you do do this or do that. So I, I'm very lucky to have a family like that. It makes everything a lot easier. Um, but you know, beyond that, they actually really enjoy it. Like my, my aunt Louise, I've seen her just making huge positive changes, uh, in the last four or five years, just when I visit her, just, she's been, you know, for example, getting rid of a lot of stuff that she doesn't need. And, you know, it's kind of crazy when I first started to not use plastic shopping bags and I went grocery shopping with her, she insisted on double bagging everything. And like, there was no budging and it, I was, I had to just be like, okay, you know, I had to step back and just be like, okay. Uh, but after three years, you know, she was like, okay, I don't need these bags anymore. And without me putting pressure, she just saw me doing my thing and she says, okay, it works. And then I think she saw that I was happy and healthy and everything. And so she kind of picked up on it and did it. So 
within my family and my friends, I see lots of them also making very positive changes. So I think I'm generally a pretty positive uh, influence with my family and friends. It must be tough to straddle the line between um, not like um, interjecting, you know, uh, your opinion on a lot of the way people live their lives, I would imagine. Yeah, it's less challenging than it used to be because, well, I want to enjoy life. And what's not enjoyable is interjecting your opinion all the time. Like, <clears throat> it's not fun uh, to to have to do that. <laughs> like, I don't think anyone who's constantly interjecting their opinion is, like, really content. Mm, good point. And so like as we talked about earlier i'm not selfless i want to enjoy life i want to really you know enjoy my days and so so i'm not going to just i i do it some but i don't want to make a, too much of a habit of it cuz it just makes you know a lot of times things sucky and here's the thing though like for change makers listening to this who are trying to get family or roommates or things like that to change well, I don't focus on any one particular person, which is easier for me to do because I don't live with one person. I don't go to class with the same person all the time. I don't work with the same person because I'm constantly traveling. And so my thing is that I'm trying to affect change. And so everywhere I go, I can do that. And the people who don't want to change, well, I don't have to I don't have to deal with them tomorrow. So it's very easy. So I just kind of play the numbers game and try to put it out there. And I know some people are going to be like, yeah, let's do that. And then, you know, that in that way I can be successful. So, but I do want to say that's easier for me because I don't live with my mom or dad or, or a husband that feels totally different or any of those sorts of things. Right. Yeah. And that's a really good point. Um, Awesome, man. Well, this has been so cool, man. And just your entire story and everything. I I love everything about it. Where can people find you? What kind of stuff you got coming up? Um, You have the book, Dude Making a Difference. Um, but kind of where, where are the best people, the best places for people to keep up with what you're doing and, and tune in? Uh, yeah, just my website, robgreenfield.org, is full of, you know, the stuff we talked about. There's lots of helpful guides uh, for all these, a lot of these sorts of things on there. And then on social media, just type in Rob Greenfield into Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. I use all those. Uh, I use Facebook more than anything. And then um, if you want to see if I'm coming to your city, uh, go to robgreenfield.org slash speaking schedule. And that kind of says where I'll be. So, you know, I travel around a lot. So there's an all right chance I'll be coming to your city or a city near you. Right on, man. Perfect. Well, thanks. This has been a year in the making. So uh, thanks so much for coming on. Stick around for uh, a couple minutes, but we'll go ahead and end it there, man. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me on. It was a it was a very enjoyable hour of talking. <laughs> cool, dude. <laughs> hey, hey, thank you so much for tuning in. Man, what an interesting guy. That was Rob Greenfield. And as always, go ahead and subscribe, leave a review, share this, whatever you want to do would be incredible. All right, guys, have a great rest of your week. Check back then. I'm going to be starting to post every week. Got some great stuff coming up. Love you all. Toodles. Bye-bye.